to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) So good to see you guys again. Welcome back. So good to have you listening. Well, look, if you're watching on YouTube, then you're seeing us again. We're looking at you. We are right at you. Now, today we are going to talk about fitness and travel as digital nomads who have no home. We're kind of homeless, aren't we? Mm. Living out of a suitcase. We travel full time. And you know that many of you guys probably aren't in that position, but we do get lots of questions for people who are going on holidays or work trips or something like that, trying, trying out a new state for a month or two. Um, how do we go about food, nutrition, maintaining the physiques we've built? Dean even did his prep for his last competitive season while we were traveling. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd give you guys some tips on what's really worked for us, what seems to be working for our clients, uh, and maybe there's something that you can take away from that. Yeah. I think even on a recent podcast I did, the boys asked me, um, if people want to listen to this, they can go to my Instagram or, and I've reposted it there. But mm-hmm. They asked me which country was the best for prep. And okay. one of the comments that I did make was, well, I think you can prep in any country. Just some of them come with greater difficulties than others. Point being here is that. That means that there are countries happen. that are better for prep. I know, but like, they, <laughs> I know there are better, but they were saying like, you know, could you prep here? I'm like, yeah, well, I could prep anywhere. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, certain things become easier because of the, some of the behaviors you need to uh, set and some of the boundaries you need to have. Okay. So, yeah. So do you have a country that you think is easiest to prep in? This one. England. Yeah. Okay. Um, England. Factoring all things in, mm-hmm. minus the cost of living, mm-hmm. the cost of gym memberships are good. The gym quality is good. Supermarkets are cheap. Supermarkets are cheap and abundant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the food quality is good. For those that are using performance enhancing supplementation, personal use is legal here. Uh, I wouldn't do it in London though. No? Because then the cost of living is going to go up exponentially and there's only one really good bodybuilding gym in London. Oh, well, in the centre of London. Are you talking about body works? Muscle, muscle works, Muscle yeah, works? In Bethnal Green. When we were in England like one or two times ago, we trained there and um, I am not easily intimidated. Like I, when I started training, there were no girls on the gym floor. It was just me. And um, I've been to some pretty intimidating gyms around some pretty intimidating people and I feel like I've built some thick skin like... Do not care, but that gym kind of made me. I was like, oh. I really liked it. Oh, God. <laughs> I was in my first gym brawl, actually, at, at Muscle That makes it sound like you were getting a punch on. Well, no, I was on the bench, uh, on a bench, and there were dudes on benches either side of me who decided to fight over the top of me. Mm. So I was kind of like caught in the middle of it. God, he was a tosser. You know, I liked that gym, but mm. I think it was because we'd spent a fairly significant period of time prior to that in some average gyms. Mm. Yeah, we had. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about some of those things that we are going to talk about some of those things. Uh, but first, we like to start the episodes with a personal update. Dean, tell me what's going on. Uh, I'm about to go get my rave on in Berlin. No, it's not true. You might be. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I may end up in one. <laughs> Who knows? I may get lured into a, a dark alley and I may rave in Berlin. Now, um, you and I have discussed discussed the concept of doing personal weekend trips away for quite some time on our no during our nomad life and we're finally doing it uh, after what 15 months yeah when dean says personal trips away he means 
not together yep. individually, solo trips. Because we work together, live together, socialize together. Fuck, give me some space, Dean. We argue together. So, <laughs> so it'd be nice to have some individual experiences. So Dean's going to Berlin. I'm going to Amsterdam, not at the same time, like a week apart. Mm. Um, so that'd be great. Why did you choose Berlin? Because everybody says it's awesome. Mm. Um, that's pretty, I really liked Germany when we went there last time. We were in Munich. And I thought, definitely need to go back there. And it's a big place. I love how weird Germans are. But it's also not like on our list of countries that we'll likely visit in the near future because of how we set up the country preference based on the season. Yeah. And that if it's summer or winter and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. In summer, summer we want to be by the coast. In winter, we want to be somewhere with lots yeah. of sunlight. So yeah. I think uh, there's a few, quite a few like, European uh, countries that are going to be missed out on. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fair. And yeah, so I thought I'll go check that out, see if it's a viable solution for us to go back to at another point and see if we'd really enjoy it. It looks great. It looks like it's got good cafe culture, good food culture, weird mm. culture. Not that I've been to Berlin, but from my understanding, it's like, quirky and like weird mm. like you're at a restaurant you're like what this used to be a bunker like a world war ii bunker like this is great like it's so weird yeah i think it's going to be quite an interesting visual experience visual experience what yeah as in like there's lots of artwork um weird looking artwork weird cafes weird people okay um i think it'll be quite yeah like you said would you say quirky and eclectic Eclectic. Okay. Uh, so I booked a bike tour day one. I arrive. Cool. I booked a tour day one for my Amsterdam. Because I thought I need to get more done in the least amount of time. Mm. It's only a three night stay, so I thought bike tour would probably get more done. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. I paid for one. It wasn't cheap. Oh my god! So, Normally, Dean and I do free walking tours. We, of course, we pay, but you just like pay with tips. Mm. Um, and yeah, depending on how good you thought the tour was, so good for you. I had a uh, a person who I speak with on IG, Ollie. He's an Englishman, actually. Hello, and Ollie. he recommended a six-hour walking tour. No, pass. Hard pass. <laughs> he was like, it was the best thing he ever did nah. because there's so much to see in Berlin. Um, but uh, I thought, I don't have six hours no. to give. So I'm doing I have six bike. hours, but I don't want to give six hours. Like, my attention span lasts like a Simpsons episode. It's mm. about it. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we'll get on with it, shall we? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about travel and fitness goals there's a fair amount to unpack and we're going to kind of section it off so starting with considerations first one being how long is your trip for second one being how frequently do you do these trips do 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 mm. no you didn't say no. do you do <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. uh, you threw me off there. <laughs> Where was I? A full chance. <laughs> How frequently your trips are. Let's say that you're at home in your regular routine for 50 weeks of the year and you only go away for two one-week trips at a time. If you're organized, you could schedule in some rest weeks in the two weeks that you're away so you don't even have to think about training. Uh, I know some people that really enjoy training. I think I'm one of them. I feel like I'm more clear-headed and it gives me more energy for the day. It definitely helps with my appetite regulation. Some people find the opposite of that for their appetite. So I prefer to train regardless of if it's Christmas, my birthday, I'm on holidays. But if you think that you would have a better time not worrying about training and the frequency of your trips are quite low, then maybe it's worth considering those little breaks as, um, mm. as yeah. deloads, rest weeks, whatever. Yep. But if those trips are one month at a time, it's going to come with some greater considerations. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that was for the frequency that we're talking about. Today. Mm-hmm. 
And then, yeah, obviously the length of it is sort of comes into play. Yeah, yeah. In both factors of that. Mm. Yeah. As the frequency and the length of the trip increases, the level of consideration also increases. Yeah, like I'd say, you know, I mean, it's it's a spectrum. It's not an on and off switch, is it? Like six days away, seven days away, fine to take a break once or twice a week, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks. Like where's the line? You'll have to figure what that out, what that is for you. Um but how, I mean. Well, it would also depend on kind of, I suppose, like your, uh, like what your current goals are. We're going to talk about the intensity of the goal later on. Right. But like we pretty much can say that like if we looked at even just uh, performance research for a deload week being a week where you regress either the volume and or the intensity of the training or both, where you taper your, your efforts down in an effort to recover so that you're performing at your best. That typically happens for most people in between sort of a five to two week phase mm-hmm. with the shorter being you can afford full rest, the longer being you typically just do a little less bit volume. less, you mm-hmm. know? So like you said, if it's three day weekend, you can probably just not train. Mm-hmm. If it's a five day, uh, probably also not train depending on what it was like prior to that. Are you going to train in Berlin? No. Oh, okay. Uh, only because, well, you know what? I really want to because there's some great gyms there. Oh, uh-huh. you should. But. I've currently only booked myself uh, luggage that will fit under the chair in front. Right. And I'm just going to wear boots and jeans and a jacket, of which case I don't think I'll have room for... Of course you will. ...shoes and that to switch into. All right. You know, so... Just three days. um, But I'm considering. Um, So, yeah, like five days maybe you're pushing. You you can definitely take the time. You can definitely take up to seven days off, no problems. Yeah. But you're going to come back sore when you go back to training. Mm. And then that may mean that you actually spend a week getting back into it. So it doesn't just cost you the seven days. It actually costs you 14 days. Mm. Look, when we were in Turkey, we stayed in a, call it a village, called Arva. Arva, yeah. Yeah, Well, it's a silent G. Arva. Arva. A-G-V-A. Anyway. Mm -hmm. I figured it's big enough, like the populate, there's a school there, there's like some restaurants and stuff. There's got to be a gym. So I, I didn't double check. Turns out the gym was one hour away on a mini bus through this windy road. I get really motion sick. So I didn't have a good time. Um, and we were there for three weeks, way too long for me to take off training. Um, yeah. And even though we still went to the gym two or three times a week, I wanted to train at least four. So I figured out what are the muscle groups I can do outside of the gym? So, you know, down by the beach, the most beautiful beach on the Black Sea, my God. You remember the sunsets on that Mm. beach? Um, There were monkey bars. So I just did 50 chin-ups and 100 push-ups, and that was my push-pull workout. Not ideal, but I got it done. That means when I went to the actual gym, I spent that time doing legs. Like, what am I going to do body weight on legs that's really going to help me at, at my level? Pistol squat, box jump. (laughs) <laughs> whatever mm. so you know you can make it work it doesn't have to be super conventional mm. um you but just... we spend a three-week period there training three times per week on average mm. uh, when our normal intention is to train four times per week and i would say my optimal training days per week when i'm looking at trying to get as big as humanly possible which is never ever again mm-hmm. uh five days per week yeah all right so the next point is we're talking about intensity of the goal to give you an example of what this spectrum of intensity of the goal looks like, I have built muscle over the course of over a decade and my goal is just to maintain that muscle. Easy. I mean, not that intense. Maintenance isn't very hard if you're consistent. 
Um, Dean, when he was prepping for his show, he pushed hard to build the muscle. It was much more difficult to actually maintain it uh, because of how much muscle he had built because the more muscle you have, the harder it is to maintain. He was also in a severe calorie deficit because he was trying to get like deathly lean for a competition. The intensity of his goal was way harder. So I could get away with more, not being as meticulous with my food, you know, not having to time my training around my nutrition. It doesn't matter if I do one less session this week, one more next week, whatever, it's maintenance. Whereas Dean had to be on point. So Mm -hmm. to give you an example of that spectrum, there's little Lizzie down this end and then there's Dean before he retired from competitive bodybuilding up this end. So Dean, talk to us a little bit more about um, how your life is different now that the intensity of your goal now as a retired bodybuilder uh, is different. Makes me sound old. Um, I am old. I couldn't even remember my age on that podcast too, by the way. I kept saying I was 36, I think. I'm not sure. What am I? I think you're turning 36 in January, right? No, I turn 37 next year in January. Oh, you're 36 now and you're turning. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so like realistically, really? yeah, realistically, the we've kind of touched on the differences hmm. in let's say April 2022, Dean, and then April 2023, because that was 2022 is the end of the competitive season, 23 now being 12 months later. Is uh, I trained five days per week without fail in 22, mm-hmm. and my focus was on progressing my lifts through load and or set quantity. Uh, or proximity to failure in regards to the reps that I would do every session other than a deload for months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, that food. was like an 18 month, you know, so yeah. that was meticulous. Um, whereas now I track my training to a certain degree in that I have a fairly good like framework set up for like training upper body at least twice to three times per week each. A Sorry. number of sets Actually, yeah, per muscle group. A number of sets roughly per muscle group. Yeah. But those sets are also about 50% at least of what I was doing previously. When you were trying um, to grow. Yeah. So I'm yeah. doing less frequent training and less volume per session. Yeah. And I'm only training legs once every seven to 10 days versus twice every seven days. Yeah. Um, because I can afford to lose a little bit of leg mass for the comfort of living life <laughs> um, and fitting into clothes and all that kind of jazz. So I'm doing less frequent, less volume, as intense in regards to my effort of proximity to failure because it's very important to maintain effort, effort yeah. in the absence of training volume and training frequency um, and even load. So like that one doesn't change, but the other ones have. Mm-hmm. Uh, food is exactly the same concept in that like I have a general set of behaviors set up around fruits, vegetables, and protein. Uh, but my control of carbohydrates and fats varies a lot and things aren't really going on the scales at mm. all as well. Yeah, so when Dean was prepping, there it wasn't even a question if we could go out to eat. The answer was, fuck no. Um, he, or unless it was like, I can do steak or choose. Oh, I think like in the 20-week prep, we went out one time for steak and you made the chef put no oil, no butter, no sauce. Yeah, well, like, we did tuna sashimi I'm, for a I'm, while. Look, yeah. I'm, no, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying, I'm just giving yeah, know, an example of like yeah. the level of accuracy yeah, yeah, yeah. that you were at at that stage. Um, I actually think it's admirable. It wasn't a criticism. Hmm. Um, you know, it didn't matter if he was hungry. If he didn't have food on the plan, he wasn't going to eat it. It didn't matter if he was full when he was bulking. If it was on the plan, he's going to eat it. Like how you matter, how you feel matters little when your goal is so extreme. There was also zero thought. 
yeah. then there wasn't a consideration for it. So like when I'd finish a meal, I was like, cool, meal's finished. What's next to do today? Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, meal's finished. Do I want a snack? Yeah, there's some room, some yeah. wiggle room there. Um, you know, we can eat out, although we, as Dean mentioned, we still have boundaries. We still have a focus on plants and lean protein. It's like, yeah, we can listen to our hunger and our cravings and our preferences. Well, you a little bit more. Um, he can probably come out and eat with me occasionally, even though we still don't really eat out that much at all, do Yeah, but even on the flip side of this too, though, right, is as the my goal of maintenance is far less extreme than my goal of extreme muscle growth or extreme fat loss, yep. is in the extreme fat loss phase, if I'd have been caught behind on food and I got to the end of the night and I was behind on protein even uh, and I was full, I'd be like, well, I've got to get this in because yep. I don't want to lose tissue. Uh-huh. Like, whereas yesterday... Just by default of timing, I had only eaten once by 7 p.m. Right. And then I had like a good meal and then I had another meal and I was like, definitely under on protein for the day, but I'm very full and I don't really want to fuck around. And it was a once off. Yeah, I don't really want to fuck around my sleep by going to bed excessively full. So Mm. I just didn't have the extra meal. Yeah. Um, Because in this instance, with the the change of extremity of the goal too, like sleep is actually probably more detrimental to my day-to-day energy in that if it's if it's messed around with than missing one meal for me at the moment mm. you know yeah yeah for mm. sure okay so we've spoken about food we've spoken about uh training let's talk about drugs and alcohol mm. more is better take more drugs <laughs> uh same rule applies like a drink consumed occasionally is going to have very little impact on your goals mm. um more of it more frequently is going to have a greater impact on your goals. Shock horror. Uh, both calorically speaking and also then the downstream infa- uh, impacts on like sleep, recovery. Mm. I don't think people think enough about um, the consequences of drinking tons of alcohol when they're on holidays because they're like, oh, alcohol doesn't exist in a vacuum when you don't consume it in moderation. What happens is you stay up later, you're likely to end up with a slice of pizza at two o'clock in the morning you're going to be hung over the next day and you're going to eat like an asshole. You think you're going to train? Probably not. So it's not just the alcohol. It's the things that happen after it. And we're definitely not against it, but it's worth considering what else comes with getting drunk. Mm. Also like getting drunk once off in a week mm. may give you some like negative, like I said, downstream effects in regards to how long the alcohol's in the system for and affects your then digestion and assimilation of nutrients and sleep for the 10 to 12 to 16 hours thereafter. But the repetition of drinking multiple nights in a row now elongates that to days. Yeah. So there's a compounding effect to repeat alcohol consumption in excess as well Mm. uh, that people don't, I think, account for when on holidays. Mm. Yeah, like it's better off to have one or two drinks every day, every second day, than it is not to drink ever and then just get smashed on holidays. Mm. Repeatedly for seven days in a row. Yeah, all that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you can do it. Just understand that your goals may take a fairly How extreme is your goal? Like if your goal is really extreme, then you're kind of contradicting yourself there by getting smashed seven days in a row. Mm. But look, to be honest, I don't think regardless, if you have any sort of goal, you shouldn't be doing that, Mm. right? Seven Um, days in a row? (laughs) And even though, you know, we just said one or two a day would be fine for most people, if it was... Dean in prep and he was really hungry he had such few calories to work with that also means that he is really struggling to get all the nutrients in that he needs because he's only got a limited amount of calories and if you're giving a portion of those calories to alcohol you have even 
less opportunity to get in the nutrients that you need. And we know the immune system suffers um, when you're in a severe caloric deficit or when body fat is low or both. Um, or when drunk. Huh? Or when drunk. Or when drunk, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and energy is low and energy is going to be low if you stay up late drinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just so many reasons why you know, alcohol isn't necessarily a problem, but there's definitely a point in time where it's inappropriate. Mm. And that would definitely be a fat loss phase or if you're trying to maintain a very lean physique. I mean, on top of the fact that we need to think about how do we spend our calories to stay satiated so we're not just starving all the time with this mental preoccupation with food, one thing we can do is avoid liquid calories because we know they're the least satiating of anything that you can consume. We want to be spending them on fibrous foods beans vegetables fruits potatoes things like that mm. not wine no no unless of course you try and sip whiskey with something that is delicious and the whiskey ruins it what do you mean Dean? as in like if i wanted to have my 100 grams of ice cream okay and i thought oh, maybe i could sneak 150 right uh-huh if you're eating ice cream and sipping whiskey, I'm going to say that the whiskey would make the ice cream taste fairly average. I don't know. I've not tried whiskey Because that, that their whiskey go and burn them, mm, I them don't know. Um, uh, taste buds. Oof, I just smell whiskey and I want to throw up. How's about that? Like, if you think you're still hungry, just take a shot of chartreuse. Do you really want more food? Probably. I want pizza. Chartreuse, <laughs> really? It's like pepper in your, ugh. I don't know. Maybe we can put some <laughs> negative flavors alongside delicious foods just... maybe i partied in king's cross too much and, <laughs> and i just associate drinking and shots with new york slice and uh, <laughs> that the cheese of new york slice the smell of it always bothered me i don't know i've never had it sober i always thought it was great <laughs> i used to work i used to work for gnc and we were yeah. next to new york slice when it opened up in oh. Brisbane, and all i could smell all day long so so you know like parmesan smells a little bit vomiting Forty, yeah, yeah. That is on some of their pizzas. And then when they're baking that all day long, all mm. you smelt was like, yeah. like Weird funky cheese, foot, foot pizza. Foot and protein bars. Mm. Good combo. Uh, okay, so moving on for our alcohol. Uh, we want to talk about extracurricular activities. And what we mean by that is, I don't know, a walking tour, a bike tour, going skiing, playing tennis, like doing random things that might not necessarily relate to your physique goals. Um, but are active. Now, again, if we think about Dean and I on the spectrum, me being over here, just like your average Joe trying to maintain a slightly above muscular physique. And me being autistic. And Dean being autistic <laughs> as fuck. Um, no, and Dean being in the depths of his prep where everything had to be on point. I could get away with a friend calling up and be like, hey, you want to go for a hike? Hell yeah. Mm. Dean will be like, no, I need to cook my food. I need to train at this time. You know, I have a step target. I can't go too far above that because then I take away from the recovery that my legs need to get my next training session done. Mm. What if I pull a hamstring, then I have to pull out of prep. Like there's very little movement that he has not only to do less, but also to do more. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, all of this exists on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like you should definitely afford yourself the opportunity to do things that provide you enjoyment, mm -hmm. but just know that maybe as the, uh, extreme nature of that enjoyable activity rises, e.g. jumping out of a plane versus skateboarding versus BMX riding versus going on a hike, there's going to be some considerations for the fact that these may put you at a greater or lesser risk for injury mm. as your goal becomes more extreme. And then similarly, yeah, like if I got caught on a hike that was four hours and I thought it was going to be two mm. and I didn't take food and I'm starving, you're, you better prepare yourself for some hangry 
Henry Dean. Yeah. You know, so so it's the same again. Like as the extremity of the goal rises, your considerations for your boundaries needs to also rise. Mm. Yeah. Um, sure. I did like though James Hollingshead's an IFB pro out of the UK. He used to be a um, inline skater oh. back in the day. Okay. And in the middle of prep, he decided that he wanted to start skating again. And everyone was so fearful, like, you're going to tear something. And he's like, listen here, motherfuckers, I'm a skilled skater. Yes, I'm different. I'm not going to try and do a backflip. Famous last words. I'm not going to try and do a backflip. But I also have decided with myself that the enjoyment that I get out of this is worth the risk of tearing something. And I'm at peace that if I do tear it, it's my own fault. Fine. But he had the conversation with himself. Informed consent. Before he made the silly decision. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't silly after all. Could have been. (laughs) Could have been. But the point is he actually sat down and considered what is the risk here? Mm -hmm. Is the risk worth it? Yes. But a lot of people don't just go off and do their thing. Mm. You know this scar on my face? For Mm. those watching on YouTube, let me come closer. Inline skater. I don't know if you can see it. It's quite a large scar on my face. That's about it. Mm, Anyways, I don't think it's very clear. That's from inline skating. Mm. When I was a kid. Mm. Extreme inline skating, I hope. Mm. No, actually what happened was, um, you remember Jackass? Yeah. Jackass came out when I was. I could one forget. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, I was maybe like 14 or 15. I think maybe it was the second jackass. I'm 33 now, so it was that many years ago. And um, my brother thought, wouldn't it be funny (laughs) if we do a jackass stunt? So he was there with the camera at the bottom of the hill. I was at the top of the hill. The idea was that I was going to come down really fast and like, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what the plan was, do some stunt um, over this thing that was in the middle of a roundabout at the bottom of the hill. And I got about two thirds of the way down when I realized uh, that that was a mistake because I had the death wobbles. And I was Mm. like, not only can I not do the stunt at the bottom, like how am I going to break my fall? I'm just going to like collide straight into something. And so what I did was I I sort of like curved left, no, no, right. Not that it really matters, but just Mm. in my mind, I'm Mm. picturing it curved right around the roundabout. So I didn't do whatever stunt I had planned to do in the middle of the roundabout and dove into a bush to break my fall. I was going really fast and that bush was not soft and it had these um, quite thick, hard uh, little branches sticking out and it sliced me open on the my mm. right cheek. And this is the only one that's scarred. I'm not sure why. Um, you got Wolverine. Yeah, full. And it was actually so deep and I think that I was in shock that it didn't hurt at all and it didn't actually bleed for a few minutes. It was just so deep that the blood took, <laughs> took a while. There's only once the fear arrive the blood you know i'm not particularly brave when it comes to being cut like i'll get a paper cut and cry but i don't remember being scared at the time i think the shock helped yeah it makes a massive difference Mm. you see people with completely broken legs kind of be like oh fuck yeah but um yeah extreme inline skating yeah there you go yeah indeed it did (laughs) so um what you can do on a holiday outside of get your training done if you're going on holidays frequently or your holidays going for a long period of time is also dependent on how extreme your goal is. Yep. Um, I don't think people think about that though, do they? Cause they think, Oh, if it's active, it's better. Being active is good for me. Like, mm. well, not if it impedes your recovery, not if you're so tired or sore the next day that you can't train, not if you get injured, like mm. maybe not. As a side note, though, also a reason to have fitness goals so that you can do extracurricular activities when you go on holidays without having to think about it because you're fit enough. You know, that's one of my main motivators to continue training. Mm. At a stage, it's probably purely vanity and also just some sort of outlet so I didn't punch someone in the face because I tend to be an angry person. 
But now that that has passed me mostly, um, I really value adventure and spontaneity and I want to be in a place where I can be spontaneous and adventurous. If someone is like, hey, there's this tour where you have to canyon and horse ride, like I can do those things. Like mm. I'm fit enough to. Yeah. It's yeah. also one of the my um, motivators not to try and push up and be larger and mm. all that jazz too because I'm far more mobile and uh, able-bodied at my current weight than what I was. Functional. Uh, Functional and fuckable, as some people say. <laughs> okay, so the last point that we have around boundaries is about social expectations and preferences. Yes. Talk us through it. Your boss wants to take you out for drinks, mm-hmm. but you've eaten all your food. What do you do? Or you know that you're going to go out for drinks. What do you do? What do you do? Mm. Yeah. It's a shame that um, some people who would prefer not to drink in excess feel pressure to do so because they feel like they'll be uh, professionally penalized mm. if, if they don't go out. But, you know, we live in the real world and that happens. So yeah. it could be as easy as if you know you're going to have three or four drinks or more, you want to account for those calories, have a chicken salad instead of a pie for lunch. You know, it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, I think it's about just having a flexible mindset mm. uh, and understanding that you can, you know, reactively reduce calories if it's a calorie consideration the days thereafter or you can proactively do similar to a point like we don't really want to be like encouraging excessive banking of calories no no um, but also similarly with your exercise and your outputs is that if you know you're going to have a big night it means you're going to be like in bed the next day recovering maybe we you know we just make sure that we get our exercise in prior to the event mm. um, or again reactively it's okay if you miss one day catch it up the next day mm-hmm. Um, but as your requirements to be professionally um, uh, involved, I guess, in these extra sort of uh, curricular activities that we just mentioned, and then also even just um, the drinking and, and all that kind of stuff, you just need to be a little bit flexible in your mindset. Right? Mm. Yeah. Managing it outside of that. Maybe even thinking like, what really am I doing this for? Because sometimes I wonder if I have friends who like, no, I need to drink for my job. It's like, well, can't you just be there? Like, could you maybe nurse a drink all night and just like have one beer? Mm. Do you have to be taking shots? Like, isn't the whole point that you're at a bar with your colleagues and you're getting to know each other and you're having a dance? Like, isn't that the point? And like, you might be frowned upon for not drinking. So hold a beer, Mm. like just sip it when someone watches you. Like, can't you do that? Mm. Yeah. Tell a little bit of a white lie. Is it a white lie? No, it's you know, somewhat of a true. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, I'm still drinking. Yeah, I'm drunk too, man. I'm still drinking from the same I bottle. I mean, if you like it, fine. But, like, mm. if if you're telling yourself it's because you need to do it for your career, maybe there's, like, some ways around, like, not getting white girl wasted all the time. Yeah, maybe just have a legitimate conversation with yourself around whether or not you're using the career as an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I had to go out for breakfast and eat all the donuts. Yeah, right. You know, actually, that is a that is a funny contrast. Like, if your work took you out for breakfast every morning, mm-hmm. there would be no expectation of you to have six donuts. No. You know? No, no. So why is there an expectation for you to have six beers? Yeah, I don't know. Drinking culture is different to food culture, to be fair, but I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah. The point is to be there and have our drink, like to be there and have breakfast. Like, yeah. No one's going to be like, why would you get oats? <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> you know? they, may, they may judge you like, oh, fruit, you're trying to be healthy. You're like, yeah, but that's okay. That's not a big deal. You know, like for whatever reason, sometimes 
there are some associations with food. You know, or oh, do you want coffee? I bet you won't have sugar in it, though, will you? Yeah. Well, fuck you, actually, will. I like sweet coffee. <laughs> you know? I'll have five. I'll but then you. even similarly on that is like, if you don't want it, then it's okay to say no. Like some people are like, oh, I bet you don't want to have this cereal because it's sugar in it. You're like, well, actually, I do. No, I don't because I don't enjoy it. We did an episode. What was it called? It was something like um, Lessons Learned from Getting Lean, mm. I think it was. And one point I brought up there was like when there's people that seem to pressure you around food and or alcohol, I think I was specifically relating to food at the time, but we can relate this to alcohol here. Instead of saying, no, I'm trying not to, or no, it doesn't fit my fitness goals or like, oh, I'd love to, but then people are like, come on, you look great. Just do it. I don't really feel like it. I don't really like this food. Like, and no one can argue with that. Like, oh, maybe later, even though it might not really be true, it just gets people off your back. Yeah, or even I may not have one now. I, I won't have one Maybe now. later. Yeah. Ask me in an hour. I think I won't have one now always gives them the, oh, okay, then they're, they're not saying no to the food. They're just saying no to now. Yeah, or pretend to think about it. Mm, nah, nah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a white lie, but that's all right. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So that was uh, all of our points for con- like boundaries to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to talk about considerations for accommodation. What the hell does accommodation have to do with fitness goals? Theme, tell us. Well, very similar to the beginning of this conversation and the conversation throughout. And that is that as the, you know, extremity of your goals rises, e.g. me in 2022 versus us now in 2023, is that your considerations for your accommodation need to become a little bit more tightly controlled. Like, are you going to stay in Harbour? Because if you are, you probably shouldn't have some extreme goals hmm. because there's not going to be a gym in your local town. You know, um, even just simple things like kitchen facilities, mm-hmm. you know, like making sure that the kitchen facilities you have available to you are sufficient to support the the food that you need to eat if the goal is quite extreme. Maybe don't be fucking precious as well. Yeah. Like some people are like, I couldn't make my meal because all I had was a four burner stove, a microwave, an oven and a slow <laughs> cooker. Like what else do you need, bro? Like we know people who get the job done with just a microwave. Like they oh, cook yeah. the four meals that they eat in a day plus their snacks. They get it all done in a microwave because that's all they had available to them. And I think it's about like being a problem solver just like getting the job done, being flexible, making the adjustments that you need, but definitely like you need something like staying in a hotel with nothing but just a fridge isn't ideal. I mean, even then it is not a can of tuna and some salad, bro, but I'm going to say if you need to, you can. So my comment before of like, I could probably prep in any country is true. I can make anything work. Yeah. It's just some of the places are going to require some more sacrifice. Yeah. Now, before anybody decides to not take off their tutu and say that they're too precious to prep without any kind of like change to their their uh, habits and routine. preferences and routine, I had a client um, and he's been a client of Brandon Kempers as well, James Kemp. I'm going to name him because he's a fucking legend. Oh, right? that sort of, okay. That dude. I thought we were naming in shame. No, that dude <laughs> in prep, he lives uh, out in bush, basically, was out bush on a job killing kangaroos for uh, farming land, legally, we'll know, for a week on prep with no electricity. <laughs> he prepped on a campfire in a swag sleeping on the ground. <laughs> now, the training considerations we spoke about before, not ideal. No. Didn't get to train with heavy weights for seven days, mm. but... 
they made it in a way that, hey, let's take this week as an opportunity to deload from the heavy loads, but you'll still be doing a lot of output as you trek and you just need to make sure you hit your food. What a legend. Campfire in a swag on the ground in prep. Fuck you all who say you can't get it done. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Legend. I love that. But it, it is, a, I think, a good representation of like, you know, certain constraints can be slightly loosened eg the training so long as the nutrition is dialed right up mm. vice versa if the nutrition was off a little bit maybe we'd do a little bit more output mm. um and then like if he was a week out probably not a good idea mm. but at six weeks out it's possible yeah so dean and i when we travel which is 100 percent of the time um we will always stay in i mean do hotels have kitchens sometimes Something, i guess yeah. But we, we just stay in Airbnbs because we can see all the pictures. They list all the facilities. It's less ambiguous. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then they're, they're no more expensive either. The facilities always seem to be better. There's always the pots and pans that you need. Mm -hmm. um, so we never, ever do hotels because we like to have at least a single burner, yeah. <laughs> an electric stove, like at least something. Um, and it's, it's, it's not necessarily just about calories though, is it about like controlling the calories? It's about, I want to eat the food that I want to eat so that I sleep well, so that I feel well, so that I move well, so that I shit well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, anytime, like we have a, we pretty much eat breakfast at home all the time Yep. Uh, and lunch for the most part. Mm -hmm. Dinners are where we change, but anytime that we've gone out. We eat at home all the time it's just occasionally when we eat out we'll make that meal it's usually dinner. like afternoon or dinner yeah. yeah but almost always whenever we've changed that routine and i haven't had my normal two meals in the front of the end of the day that are like loaded with veggies and fruits i get to night i'm like fuck i really want just like a big pan of hot veggies and like i just want a big bowl of fruit so like you said it's these things that like the reason why we have these facilities isn't necessarily because it's like about calorie control, but it's also about like micronutrient control and health and digestion and, yeah. and all that kind of sleep so, and energy and mood and concentration. Yeah. And yeah, which is actually like one of our final things we wanted to discuss too. And that is that like two major things that I think people where they go wrong all the time. And one of them is this like, um, like never thinking ahead or that this like concept that you have to eat every meal out when you're on holidays mm -hmm. even for a three-day holiday it doesn't mean that you have to have breakfast lunch and dinner out mm -hmm. like there's it's it's okay to take some whey protein and buy some veggies from the local supermarket and have a protein and veggie meal considering the fact that that is going to set you up well from a, a calorie perspective but it also is going to set you up well from a digestive perspective uh -huh. um from a satiety perspective and from a micronutrient perspective because you still need this mm. so i mean look dean you could do that I personally wouldn't have a protein shake and veggies. I think it's a gross combo. It's a weird I, combo. I normally do protein shake and fruit. 100%, yeah. But yeah. I mean, if they had no cooking facilities and they still wanted their veggies. But you don't cook do fruit, dum-dum. You don't cook fruit. So if they had no cooking facilities. Okay. So like, you know, you want to have a veggie meal and protein and you want to have a protein and fruit meal. Right, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Mm. Yeah. I have no problem snacking on a cucumber and a carrot. Oh, no, I just wouldn't have it with a protein. And then I would have a shake yeah, yeah. afterwards. You know, I, I don't know if this is weird. I didn't think it was until someone's like, are you eating that like an apple? I was like, yes, is that strange? I like eating um, red capsicums and mushrooms like an apple. Like I just eat them raw. Not for any other reason other than like sometimes I can't be bothered. Mm. But I like it. I think it's crunchy. I think it's a little bit more weird than eating a cucumber or a carrot like that. Is it? I'm okay yeah. with it. What about a... What about a a whole beetroot that's been steamed. Uh, I mean, it's messy, isn't yeah. it? 
Or maybe it's just because I'm eating it and that's why it's messy because I get food everywhere. To be fair, today I was behind and my breakfast is normally like either a big chicken salad, which sounds weird to mm-hmm. most people, but or it would be like eggs and veggies or something like that. I came out and I had a plate of um, pickled cabbage, like mm-hmm. sauerkraut essentially, with roasted capsicums mm-hmm. and a carrot. And then I had some meat on the side because it didn't go with it. <laughs> You know? This is just stuff you put in the like, fridge. Couldn't be fucked cooking meal. Yeah. Literally chose all of the vegetables that could be eaten from the jar or from the crisper. I love it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I enjoy it. Yeah. Not every meal has to be a party, yeah. but also meals don't have to be complicated to be enjoyable. Yeah. So that that concept of like eating out for every meal, I think is important for people to realize it's not something you have to do. And mm. it's not a treat then if you're eating out all the time, is it? It's not exciting anymore. No. It's not an experience anymore. It's just another meal. Um, and then the other one would be like, we've spoken about this on many podcasts too, is preloading. Mm-hmm. So before you go out for a meal or before you go to the supermarket to choose a meal or whatever it may be, or you go to, to an actual food market to have like a treat, it would be a smart idea if you would consider having a protein and vegetable or one or the other meal before you go so that you're not going there. Starving. Yeah. Cause it's hard to make good decisions around what to eat and portion control when you're really, really hungry. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, they're definitely two. And last but not least. The very last point, is it, Dean? It is for this where, okay. you know, considerations for your obviously fitness goals while traveling. And that is, is that you don't have to try everything. Okay. You can, but if you want to try everything, you need to try smaller portions. Mm-hmm. So let's give an example. Um, in Turkey, perhaps is a good example. There's really good like Arabic uh, or Middle Eastern baklavas and uh, what was that one made with cheese and like those noodles? Kunefe. Kunefe, yeah. So, so many good treats. And they're unusual to us and we like trying new and unusual things. Like that's one of the delights of travel. Like we get to Mm. try things that we wouldn't normally try at home. But if we ordered one serve of everything each and ate them all, (laughs) like our fitness goals are somewhere in, in the in the distance for us. So maybe we would just choose either the one or two things we want to try the most and leave it at that, or we'll order more, but just try a portion of them. Yeah. Yeah. And this will also be dependent on the length of your holiday too. Like if you're like us and you're somewhere for eight weeks, it's very important to realize you don't have to eat everything the first week. Yeah. We can just try one thing a week, one thing a week or whatever it may be, or even one thing every few days and it be portion control. If you're there for three days or two days, you're not going to be able to try everything. So don't try. Um, just like Liz said, I would say portion out what you think is going to be the, the ones that you actually think you'll enjoy. Like when I look at some desserts, I go, ooh, that'll be good. And then I look at them, actually, like what are the things that I like out of a dessert? I like it to be this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. It has none of those characteristics. Sub point, if you think you're really going to like something, you take one bite and you're like, eh, it's pretty av sunk cost like don't just finish it because you bought it like give it to someone throw it in the bin like if you eat it just because you bought it it's just a waste of your actual calories that you have to spend that day Yeah, because you've already spent the money you've already sunk cost yeah you've Mm -hmm. already spent the money the food's already been purchased that is a good one and i think uh, a behavior that i know a few of my clients have learned the i can stop whenever i feel like it concept uh with that like i tried it it was all right wasn't as good as i thought yeah i'm not going to finish it when you get on top of that it is incredibly liberating from a food control perspective to realize that you can stop whenever you feel like. Mm. Mm. Okay. You are your own boss. Yes. So Dean, let's wrap it up. Shall we? Mm. We're going to finish with a less shit tip. We'll make it relevant to the topic at hand. 
how, if people are thinking about fitness goals and travel, how might they be less shit? Throw it back to me if you're not sure. Uh, let's give one each. Okay. My number one would just be to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Plan ahead, but have a flexible mindset. Okay. My less shit tip would be that holidays and travel isn't always just about the food. It might be a component of the fun for you, but think about, I don't know, the buildings, the history, the people, the, I don't know, there's so many things about travel. It doesn't have to just be a buffet. Yeah. Make it a part of the experience, not the experience. Yes. What he said. I like it. Okay. Before the would you rather, Dean, I would like to give us something worth sharing to the audience. Can okay. be entirely irrelevant to the topic. It is. Do you have something that's worth oh, sharing? I thought you said you would like to give one. Uh, I would like to do the segment. Right. Mm-hmm. I finished a delicious. A delicious. <laughs> what, delicious. what two words together is that? Delicious and fun. Delicious and. Flavor. No. <laughs> I don't know. I finished a delicious. I did it again. Delicious. <laughs> delicious. Uh-huh. Caffeinated beverage mm-hmm. as we started this podcast. So that reminds me, I'm going to share James Hoffman. We've shared him before. He's an English uh, coffee connoisseur on YouTube. Uh, he did a recent segment on caffeine content of varying coffees, espressos, instant filter coffees, pour over coffees. And he talked about the milligrams of caffeine per milliliter. And it was interesting. Was it? So if somebody was looking to get the most amount of caffeine, people think espressos are the strongest. This is why it was interesting. If you want to get the most out of your caffeine, think about a coffee extraction option that makes the caffeine or makes the coffee beans spend the most amount of time in contact with it. Mm-hmm. So it would be like filters, pour overs, and French presses. Dean, if you to me the question, would you get more caffeine per milliliter on a, or was it a pour over or an espresso? Was yeah. Sort of, and um, look, firstly, I'm just not smart enough to answer that question, but I didn't know if it was dependent on the temperature of the water used or mm. the time in contact with the water. So I just took a stab. It was a 50-50 and I got it wrong, whatever. Turns out it's very little to do with the temperature and more to do with the contact time of the water, uh, which is why the answer was a pour over, right? Yes, because it has more yeah. time. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, check that video out if you're interested in caffeine, anything in coffee, because this could change what you may use pre-workout if not using a pre-workout and or what you're using towards the end of the day if you want some coffee but not a lot of caffeine look autistic. it's not significant by the way but... yeah okay i was gonna say look my autistic friend i think that um you overestimate how much thought people put into their caffeine consumption i take it back it actually is significant i'm sure it's a significant no what no so if you wanted a coffee and you were okay with instant coffee yeah at 6 p.m then you should have an instant coffee because it was like one third to one... exists no one third to one one quarter of the caffeine content on a serve by serve basis and then it was espresso and then it was filter. So okay. yeah. Cool. Actually, there's some practicality to this. Check it out if you're interested. Hey, don't ask the questions if you don't want the answer. <laughs> Just drink a monster. Get on with life. Jesus Christ. Would you rather, Dean? I'd rather drink coffee than monster. Yeah. Would you rather never drink good coffee again? You're limited to shit coffee. Uh-huh. Or Never use an air fryer or microwave again. I would rather never drink. Was it? I'd never never drink good coffee. I'd rather never drink good coffee again. Really? Yeah. The microwave and the air fryer means that much to you. I thought you loved coffee. I do love coffee, but having been in this traveling situation that we are in, the last place we were in, I wasn't happy with the coffee available to me. The last two places, actually. Okay. 
Um, and he didn't die. Both at a cost and quality. Okay. And I ended up shifting just to drinking whatever the fuck was available. Mm-hmm. My um, shitty instant coffee. Yeah, and you know what, time like, that. Just put the spoon in, put the whole water in, you're done. Yeah. Get on. And the- I and I left my AeroPress in Turkey a while back, so like yeah. that that made them. So like I kind of was like I really enjoyed a coffee out. It definitely made me enjoy coffee more. Like you said, like it was uh, when you eat out all the time. Yeah, not, like I yeah. really did enjoy the experience of having coffee. Uh-huh. But like a microwave and an air fryer is something that I use very regularly, and I can cook a lot of different things okay. in it. And food is probably more. Bye bye coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let us know in the comments. Take a screenshot, tag us. Would you rather never have good coffee again or never use an air fryer? Also, I just drink shit coffee. Ain't, ain't. Big winks to those that can see. Just for those listening. Just shit coffee. <laughs> that was an awkward silence for those not watching yeah. on YouTube. That was <laughs> Dean aggressively winking at me. I would, yeah. It's yeah. terrible coffee, Liz. Oh, my God. This is so gross. <laughs> no yeah. loopholes, Dean. I've got to stick with your choice. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you for listening, everyone. We do hope that you got some value from the podcast. Maybe even just ask yourself better questions next time you go traveling. Um, Set the bar low, I think, when it comes to nutrition and food on holidays. Instead of being like, I'm going to continue training five days a week. I'm going to continue eating perfectly. Like, well, what is the minimum you need to do? Yeah, get get more done, happy days. Exactly. Set the bar low. All right. Until next time. See ya.